to your seats. I know this is a God thing because this would never be in my nature to do this. Matter of fact, I have spent the last several weeks studying on Mary and Joseph in the priestly lineage of Mary and Joseph, the adopted father, such incredible fun stuff. And as I was gearing up to prepare for today, I felt a hard shift in what I had been studying and what I thought we should do. And I felt God led me to a completely different route. And so I am going to be 100% transparent and vulnerable with you this morning. Because I believe there are some of you in this room, like me, are probably facing the biggest battle and fight of your life. For those of you online, you're not even in this room and you've probably felt the alienation. You have felt alone and you wish you could be in community with us. Obviously, we are with the Curtis family as they have faithfully prayed and faithfully been online and God has been healing her. And I believe she will be cancer free and she will be one day in this room and we'll get to see her worship. And just in us to testimony to the power of God. But I wanted to share something from my heart because I believe if I can be vulnerable in this room, then you can be vulnerable with yourselves and with God. And I believe what he has started in this worship set We didn't communicate the songs. I didn't tell them what I was going to speak on. This is a God thing. I want you to stand because we're going to pray. And I know custom, we always have a scripture to open with. But I'm going to plot through some scripture with you. But I want us to pray because God can be ready. But if we're not ready to respond, then we could miss what God is wanting to do. And so I want us to be ready this morning. Lord. We've come into this house, everyone in this room and everyone online, you know exactly what they need. God, I can only share with what I have been traveling through and what you have given me, but it's obvious that you're going to do something, that you're wanting to shift a life in here, to change somebody's life. And so God, as we continue in this atmosphere of prayer, of brokenness, God, that you would meet us. What a waste of a service it would be for me to spend 30, 40 minutes talking about something that isn't relevant or that I can't respond to. And so, Lord, I want you to anoint the words that you have given me. Give me clarity in my mind as I speak this. But God, let there be a heart to receive it. Help us, Lord, because in this season, God, we must be transparent with you because I can't run far enough to hide away from you. There's no place I can go that you can't see me. There's no emotion I can't feel that you can't handle. And so, Lord, under the authority of your words and the grace that you have given me, God, let there be an unction of your spirit that would continue to flow. And by the end of today, God, that, Lord, you'd have your way. In Jesus' name, we pray and call it done. Why don't you clap if you believe that? You may be seated. In Esther chapter 2, we find this story where Esther is uh, on her way to fulfill a job description. It's, it's, her, it's her interview with the boss. And if you could, uh, I, I think we did it this morning, you can kill the house lights. Um, I would rather not see anybody's face because I am not just preaching to myself, but I believe if God will move, I want us to just be focused on what he wants and nobody else around us. I just want us to be focused on what God wants to do. But here Esther is uh, trying to fulfill a job description. She is in the interview process and for a year straight, scripture says that for six months, she would have to, as part of this interview, she would have to adorn herself in oil and myrrh. And then for the last six months, she would have to put on sweet odors. We know that myrrh can be a a bitter herb. So for six months, she had to put on bitter herbs. And for six months, she would put on sweet odors. And the takeaway for this this morning is if you are in the season 
of sweet odors, then hold on. But if you are in the season of bitter herbs, hold on. Just hold on to where you are. And so I want to paint a picture of uh, what I feel this morning, what I felt God had shifted in my life and what I thought was appropriate that he wanted for this morning. And so I'm going to walk through a journey that I have been on for the last 10 months just to give you context for what we're going to talk about. We're talking about prayer, something very fundamental, something that we all hear about, we've learned about, we've all tested the waters. Many of us have a tremendous prayer life. Some of us are cultivating that prayer life. But prayer is the key. We say it every week. It is a foundational piece of First Church. It is our anchor. That's why Monday nights are pitiful that we, we pray together. It is important that you seek God's face in your personal home. It is important that we develop a walk with God in prayer. But July 15th, nearly a year ago, 10 months now, my wife and I and my two boys and my niece would endure probably the most difficult night of our lives as we would sit on our lawn and we would watch everything go up in smoke. You're not talking about a coffee table, some windows, uh, some walls. 22 years, 22 years of memories. Ticket stubs to our first game. Our boys are 16 and 13. First letters, our first cards. There were things that we had stored up from when we were children. Really, we were so young. 18 and 21 is the ages that we were married. And we had stored up 22 incredible, amazing years. So when our memories would fail us, we had triggers to remember. But I remember sitting on that lawn and watching what seemed to be hours, but within minutes, we had lost everything. And I would have to process this and begin to walk through this every day, every day. Two months later, I am living with my brother because I still don't have a place to live. And I was on my way back to his house. I'd forgotten my phone. And I arrived to his home and I'd missed several calls. Uh, I started calling back and I had found that one of my dearest friends was horrifically killed in a motorcycle accident. So now I was processing the loss of a home, the loss of memories, the loss of what was stable, what we had built for. Now I am processing the loss of a dear friend that was tragically killed. Three years, not three years, but three months later, one of our childhood, my brother and I, our childhood friend from a very small youth group at Christ Temple in Fall River, Massachusetts. We had a group of maybe 15 or so. We we're very close and he became sick with COVID. He was one day older than me. And I remember praying and I actually didn't put a lot of prayer into it because I thought he would be fine. And within a week he had passed away. And once again, processing a fire, processing a dear friend of mine, gone. And yet another person, gone. May 7th, just a few weeks ago, my wife and I, and our family would endure something that was horrific to us personally. And I remember it would be a situation that you would just have to learn to deal with and you move forward and it would be fine. But I'd become so depleted emotionally and mentally that I could no longer handle it. And I began to just become a mess. It started imploding almost. I remember driving, and, and, and I'll be so honest that maybe you're afraid to be dishonest, but if you would really... Think within yourself. Some of you have been where I am and have been. As I was driving, I would see a vehicle coming at me in the correct lane. But in my mind, I could see them cutting over into my lane and killing me. And then I would think, well, they would move on. The church would get another executive pastor. The teams would be fine. Insurance would pay everything off. They're fine without me. It's part of life. You lose a house. You lose friends. You just lose. It's just what it is. And then those different times, those little fragments of time where I would feel tormented would come and go and I would pray and I'd feel better listening to the right music and it would help me. And then I would wake up in the middle of the night and think, wow, if I had a heart attack tonight, I guess the insurance would pay everything off. The kids will be fine. Bridget would be fine. The church moves on. Pastor would be fine. And those thoughts would become so real, how irrelevant life is because with the moment's notice, everything is taken from you. What you thought you had in your possession, in your hands, you no longer control. I remember uh, even just moving forward with processing everything, still trying to lead the pastoral team, trying to lead directors of other teams, 
trying to be in the seat with marriages that could use my help, young adults that could use me, whoever it is that could use some help. I was just trying to be an ear and pray and help all I could. I was trying to never distract or discourage Pastor Hoffman because I found that when he is the healthiest, when he is at peace, him and Sister Hoffman could see the furthest, First Church would be the healthiest. The city was safe. So I would do everything I can to protect him from my emotional brokenness and my broken thought life. And even Sue Martinez, who's somewhere in this room, he gave me a book that changed my life boundaries. I had no more boundaries. I just figured I'd invest in everybody else because I was trying to mask my own pain. And so I would go through life. And I remember calling my best friend because the other one that I would call that wasn't part of this church, that isn't in this circle of influence, he was gone. He died in that accident. So I called my closest friend, Jay, who was a pastor of a thriving church, City of Refuge. That church has partnered with us at, let's imagine, a little church in Florida, Massachusetts, was able to give, it was either seventeen dollars or $20,000 to let's imagine, because they believe in this city. They believe in you. They believe in Pastor Hoffman. They believe in the vision to reach this city. A little church of 40, able to commit nearly $20,000. He is an incredible pastor and friend of mine. Remember talking to him, and he's brilliant. Him and several others had taken a test to become chief. He works for our uh, fire department at home, the Fall River Fire Department. And he would go on to take this test to become chief. And him and another individual scored really high. So the chief in Fall River said, well, I'll, I'll bring you two on, and we're going to see if the mayor will give us budget so you can both be made chief. Well, Jay started working with the city and ended up going into arson school and started uh, digging into fires and, and, and working on several different capacities for the city. But just recently, the mayor said, I'm sorry, I, I can't come up with any more budget for Jay. Jay was making too much money for the position he was in as it was a holding place for him to become chief. He had to make a decision on what to do, and Jay decided he was going to go back to fighting fires on a truck. I remember talking to him, and I was upset. I was like, bro, what are you doing, man? I, and I was honest with him. I said, I can't, I can't hear any bad news. If, if something happens to you, I can't handle it. I was selfish. And Jay, if, you've, if you know me, you get a little insight on how us New Englanders can be. He basically told me to stop being a baby, to shut up, and he's fine. He's trained for it. And we kind of laughed, and I hung up the phone, and I was angry at God. I said, God, why would you put him back on the line? I could never take the phone call of losing another friend. I've already got one less to call. I, I couldn't imagine life without Jay. But I would be going through these thoughts in my head. I continued my, discipline, my disciplines of devotional and prayer. But yet, if I really prayed how I felt, I was so afraid that God would be mad at me because of the emotions I was trying to process. If God really knew... Huh, the omniscient God who is everywhere, as if he didn't know what's in my head. If I would articulate and really pray what I felt, he would be upset, maybe mad or frustrated at me. If I let Pastor Hoffman or anybody else know what I really felt, maybe I would be out of a job. Maybe I would hinder what God is doing here at First Church, and I didn't want to do that. Just a few people that were close I would allow to see this side of me. But I really was afraid of what God might think with my prayers. And maybe you're in this room and you're going through something. And you haven't been able to pray like you really feel. We come in and we pray. We'll check the box. But afraid of our own emotions and processing where we really are. And being able to put prayer together. See, prayer is communication. Prayer is communication. Communication is not natural. It is learned. We're born with the capacity to communicate. But really, prayer is something that you learn, and I'll prove it. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, as he prayed in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. We're taught to communicate from preschool into college. And here, the disciples are saying, teach us to pray. Is there a formula to pray? How do I pray? And this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. 
And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into the closet, and when thou shut the door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetition as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Prayer was never intended for public and professional prayer. Prayer was meant for us to come together in community and pray together because there is power when we're together. But prayer is more than showing up on a Monday night just so people can see you were here at prayer. Just to show pastor you were in the room. Just to show your friends I've made it to prayer. Prayer was never meant to be public or professional. It was meant for us to communicate how we really feel. Not vain repetitions as the heathens do. It's not coming in and saying the same things over and over again. The lack of faith, checking a box, just saying the same things to say, well, I've, I, I've put it in there. That's why I, I'll explain a little bit about Monday night prayer. If you have not been here or if you've never been to prayer, or maybe you've been here for quite some time. I remember the day where we would come in to a Monday night prayer and a Thursday night prayer and we would pray. There was just a, a handful of us and we would begin to pray, but it could almost be intimidating because there was no music. You could hear everybody's prayer. And believe me, you don't want to hear my sins. You don't want to know how I really feel about you or me. Sometimes you do not want to hear my prayers. And so oftentimes you'd hear two people, three people, five people, maybe 10 people. They're fully okay with their, their prayer with God, their time and they, they're confident in their prayer. They'll pray loud and the rest of us just shut up and buried our face in the carpet because we didn't want you to know what we're praying about. And then something shifted where we started putting some music and, and, and raising the level of music so that way everybody could come in and now we are witnessing 120, 140 people that'll come to prayer. Why? Because I don't care if you're learning how to pray or if you've been here 50 years and you are the best prayer warrior that's on the planet. Anybody can talk to God. It's learning how to pray together. But let's, pray, let's, let's be honest when you look at communication through prayer. Oftentimes we look at communication like it is the answer to a problem. How many times do we say, well, you know, there's an issue. We need to talk this out. I know Pastor Kento and, and, and Sister Bianca, as they're doing an excellent job with Next Gen and everything they do for our students and the amount of work and the teams that they lead. I can't tell you how many times that they've had to sit down with students, students and, pastors, and parents and say, we really need to talk about this. Maybe if we spent more time at the beginning communicating, we would have to use so much communication at the ends to fix the problems because of lack of communication. It boggles my mind on how parents, after their children go to college, the divorce rate skyrockets. Why is that? We spend so much time communicating to our children that we forget to communicate to the person that helped create the children. So what happens in ministry? We begin to communicate to one another. Every leader is developing somebody. If you're on a serve team, you're serving with somebody else. All of a sudden now we're communicating with everybody else. But did we remember to communicate with our father, with God? Did we communicate? Because here is the truth in ministry. That is probably the most hurtful part of ministry. People are in your lives for a season. But one day they're going to graduate their issue. And when you are done imparting into them and they have graduated and moved on, if you did not communicate with your savior, you will find yourself in the same issue as I see parents. There is a gap in your relationship with God because all we did was invest in communicating with his people that we never communicated with the creator. It is so important that we keep our prayer lives intact regardless of where you are in ministry, regardless of where you are on a serve team. You need to keep praying to God before you talk to anybody else. So here, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 7, he said, when thou prayest, this is his answer. He walked us through no vain repetitions. Don't just do public prayer. Learn to communicate. But we're so afraid to communicate because we are afraid of what the emotions will look like. 
in my household, I am a protector. Um, I provide. I discipline. Different hats I have. And my children, because they're my children, they are going to get the protection, the provision, the discipline, the best lifestyle I can give them. That is a byproduct of being my sons. Bridget knows she has a safe place to come home to every night. She can be emotionally safe with me, physically safe with me. That is a byproduct of me trying to be the best husband I can be. The problem we can run into is our children can take for granted what we give them, a sense of entitlement. My son was talking to me at school. He's learning about all these graphs and all these charts, all this stuff in math. Like, Dad, I'm not going to use any of this stuff. Yeah, you might, you might not. We had just purchased an investment property, looking for retirement, just trying to be smart. So we're, we're working on our five-year plan. If you don't have a five-year plan, you know what? Just get a five-year plan. We can do a whole other life group on finances next semester. Get yourself a five-year plan. We're working on our five-year plan. And Dominic said, oh, Dad, how, how do you know what's a good return on investment? What's an ROI? So we're talking through stuff. Well, yesterday we came home really late. I was gone all day, worked all day. And, and, and Dominic, or it was Friday, he said, man, where were you? I said, I was working all day. He's like, for what? Like, for you. Who do you think is going to get all this stuff? Mind you, that's if we have a relationship. If Dominic and Jordan stop talking to me, guess who doesn't get anything? Them dudes. I will find somebody else that I will invest in. It's the same thing when we look at our relationship with God. We want to talk about provision, protection, the blessed life. We look at all that stuff, and all of a sudden, we put the focus on the stuff that God provides us, as if that's the approval. Instead of us building a relationship with him, we are so focused on the protection and the provision and what God can do for us that all of a sudden we are dissipated because we have a sense of entitlement in the kingdom where we think just because I call him daddy, I get all this stuff. But if my kids learn to have a relationship with me and talk with me and build on that, they'll get everything else. It starts with the relationship before they get the stuff. If we want to get the stuff, it starts with the relationship. Provision, power, protection are to be the byproduct of prayer and not the motivation for prayer. It matters on why you pray. But when you're looking at prayer and what you feel... Maybe the lack of prayer. It's, we have to understand, why do things happen? God, if, I'm going to be honest. I'm here every Sunday. I'm here every Monday. I tithe. I give offering. I contribute to Let's Imagine. I try to, I, I, you take things on. I can't tell you how many marriages, I've felt this. I feel like I pray sometimes for some of the marriages more than they probably pray for themselves. You take stuff home with you. God, if they could just see what they need to, God, if they could just discipline their mouths. If they could, you go through all, you carry it and you carry it and you throw that in his face. God, I don't get this. Man, I'm carrying, I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm trying to be Aaron and her to pastor. I lift up his hands. I'm, I'm trying to do everything he needs in the background so he feels the safest and the most at peace. Why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? But I don't want to talk about it to him because I don't want to seem ungrateful. So here is understanding why do things happen. I, I, I really dug into this pretty deep a couple of years ago. I, I believe the message is called Ambidextrous God. You can go back. It's probably been a couple of years. I'm not sure. This is a surface level of, of what I studied then. See, the right hand of God, we know it. We've heard. We've, we've taught on this. We receive it. We love talking about the right hand of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, it says, Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, in every name that is named, not only in this world, but in those to come. The right hand of God is authority. I could take you to Exodus chapter 15 and verse 6, where Moses says, The right hand, O Lord, is becoming glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed the enemies into pieces. His right hand is power. I could take you to Isaiah 41 and 10. Fear not thou, for I am not with thee, but not dismayed. For I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee. His right hand is strength. I can even take you to Psalms 118 and 16. 
The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. In the message, valiantly means victory. There's victory in the right hand of God. And as Christians, we just want to hear messages on victory, triumph, power, authority, healing. We want to preach in here always about the right hands of God. But watch Job in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hath not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and the substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hands now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to the face. What hand is he talking about? Is Satan praying a prayer of blessing over Job? Lord, if you'll just give him more authority, just give him more power, he'll curse you. It's not what he's saying. So let's go to Job 23 verses 8 through 10. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job is teaching us on the left hand is where he does the work. On the right hand, he reveals who he really is. On the left hand, God is moving. On the right hand, God is revealing who he really is. His truths and his absolutes. So watch Psalms 111 verse 7. The works of thy hands are verity and judgment. All the commandments are sure. So the works of thy hands, plural, are verity and judgment. When you translate verity in in Hebrew, verity means truth. Judgment means to move into harmony with truth. What is that telling me? That tells me that when God's hand is doing the work. Now, listen, in a few minutes, you're going to get off of your pew. That requires work. You have to straighten your legs up. You have to straighten your back. You're going to get up. You're going to hold the back of your pew. That's requiring work. In the left hand, when God is working, God is working to move into place with harmony into truth. So what is he saying? In other words, if you want my truths and my absolutes, the power, the victory, the provision, the protection, I have to work because that moves into my right hands. You cannot understand the provision of God unless you watch God work in your life. You cannot have a healing unless you were sick. You cannot understand the authority of God until you felt defeated. You cannot understand the power of God until you felt you had no victory. But here's what Job is saying. On the left hand, I can't see the right hand. You might be in a season where it doesn't look like he is faithful. It doesn't look like he has given you the authority. It might not look like you have the power yet. But I am telling you, when you stay with the left hand and God is working, he will reveal himself on the right hand. It's going to take his left hand to manifest his right hand. It's going to take both. You cannot have one without the other. So here we understand, okay, God's moving. I don't get it. I'm ticked. It's not working. Okay, he's moving. I have all these emotions built up inside of me. How? Why? All these feelings, they're just inside of me. In Matthew 23, through verse 25, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup of the platter, but within... They are full of extortion and excess. Now that is extreme. What's the principle? I can come in on a Sunday with my suit. You can come in with your pretty dress. You can come in with your hair done. You can groom yourself, look great. But on the inside, you don't match what's on the outside. You're broken on the inside. You're hurting on the inside. You're confused on the inside. You're frustrated on the inside. But on the outside, what do we pray? Lord, thank you for this day. What an incredible day. God, let you touch this service because you're so afraid to come into this house broken and begin to pray a real prayer and saying, God, I am in this house and I am so tired and frustrated. I need you to speak a word into my life this morning because I don't have the energy to do it anymore on my own. So I'm going to come in here out of the discipline in my life. But I know God. 
I need to hear from you. I need to know you're with me. I need to feel you this morning. But it's the emotions that we are so afraid of to feel those on the inside. And I know you're in this room and there are some of you that have been fighting these emotions, but you think because I am a Christian, I can't, I can't show what my emotions are like. If I am a Christian, nobody should know how I really feel. I'm supposed to put a smile on all the time. So if we're going to be Christians, Christ-like, let's see what Jesus has to say about emotions. John 15 and verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus felt joyful. That's an emotion. Jesus felt joy. How about this one? In Mark chapter 11, Jesus is going into the temple right around the feast. And there are these money changers and they're selling these sheep and lamb and they're scamming their own people. Scripture doesn't say that Jesus went up to him and said, listen, guys. We've already talked about this. We have a policy. We're not, we're not selling all this stuff. If you're going to sell, create a website. Do it on your own time. Here, here, here in the, we're, we're not doing that, okay, guys? Let's, now, I'm going to ask everybody, let's pack up your tables. Get them outside of these doors. You have two exit doors to the rear, two exit doors on the sides. Just please clear out, clean up your mess. That's not what Scripture said. What did Scripture say? He threw everybody out. He took the tables, threw every, he was angry. He threw stuff out, not because he was working out. He was ticked and threw everything out. So I know Jesus was angry. He understood what it was like to be angry. Now let's go to Luke chapter uh, 4. No, let's not go there yet. Let's go to John chapter 11, verse 35. The world's short. I mean, it's the shortest verse. We love it. Jesus wept. Every child loves that verse. Did you study the Bible? Jesus wept. Did you memorize the scripture today? Jesus wept. Listen, I was there. I know it. So here... The almighty God loses a friend. Jesus loses a friend, Lazarus. And I think it's great that John takes a moment. He did focus on the travel back home. He focused on the conversation with Mary, with his friends and family. But here's what really got, I thought at first at face value, Jesus was sad he lost a friend. I don't buy that for one minute. I think Jesus was sad because he knew the Almighty God, he knew he was going to raise up Lazarus in three days. He was sad for the family because they were broken and they couldn't see their miracle coming. Remember Abraham and Isaac are going up the mountain? They're going to sacrifice the boy? And here, going up that mountain, daddy's like, I got to sacrifice my son. On the way up the mountain, there's a ram on the other side of the mountain that they can't see, that's making the same travel. They're simultaneously, they're walking up together. He, what would have happened if they would have stopped mid-stride and said, you know what, I'm not going up the mountain, bag this, let's kill the dude right now and it's over. I fulfilled my, I fulfilled my, my calling to God. I've done what I was supposed to do. He would have missed his miracle, right? But because he waited and went through the whole process and made his way up the mountain, the miracle was on that side. So I think Jesus is feeling sad and begins to cry because Mary, I'm telling you, I'm coming home and I'm healing that boy. But they're so distraught. Jesus felt sad for his friends because he knew something they didn't know. There's, I'm telling you, you're in this room and there's a miracle coming. You can't see it. And Jesus is weeping for you because he just wants you to hold on a little bit longer because the miracle is on its way. He sees it coming. If you'll just hold on and not just give up the fight, but you just keep pressing, you keep moving forward. He was sad. Mark chapter 8, he'd been talking for three days. Jesus said he had compassion because they were hungry. Been three days. Jesus felt compassion. I'll take you to one more, Luke chapter 4. Here, Jesus is traveling home, this Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as this custom was, he went into the synagogues on the Sabbath day. This isn't new. He had been doing this. It's a custom for him. Verse 28, and all day in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. These are people that Jesus knew. Remember, he was a carpenter's boy. He had relationships with people. He didn't just appear out of nowhere and was dead silent for 33 years until he started his ministry at 30, when he was 30. 
He had relationships with people. How hurt do you think he really was that his own friends threw him out? You ever feel like the deepest wounds come from the people closest to you? You ever feel like the church hurt hurts more because they ought to know because they sit on the same roof as you? But yet we forgot that we're still flesh and we're trying to perfect this body and that we are human and unintentionally or intentionally we fail. Jesus felt that his own people kicked him out of his own city. He was hurting. God gives us permission to express our emotions, our feelings through prayer because he took the time to show you his emotions in scripture. If he didn't think your emotions were important, he would have never let you see the side of him that hurt, that made him happy, that made him feel uh, alienated and alone. He would have never showed you that. He would have never cried for anybody, had compassion. But he was trying to show us another side of him where we want to focus on just the right hand. He is showing you what he felt on his left hand, the emotions. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. Life and death are in the power of of the tongue. What you say gives the enemy the authority in your life, or you can keep him captive in your life. It's what you say. It's how you pray. It blows my mind when we're going through something and we've stopped communicating with God. We give our little prayer on, on Monday or at home. Maybe it's on your drive, the first five. And, and it blows my mind that, that we'll pray 20 minutes and we don't talk to God the rest of the day. What would it be like if I talked to my wife? First thing, like, hey, babe, how you doing? Great. Day. Okay, listen, I'm going to do that. And that was it. That was it. Like, don't call me for the gallon of milk on the way home. Don't ask me to do nothing for the kids. Like, we took our 20 minutes in the morning and we're done. Sounds terrible, right? Sounds like a divorce is on my way. We'll do that with God. Listen, if you just give him 10 minutes in the morning, you'll be fine. Or maybe when we pray instant, in season, out, that's us threading him throughout the day. It's being intentional and thanking him when you get in your car. It's maybe when you get into work, man, thank you, Lord. Lord, point me to somebody. Who can I talk about you today? It's spreading him throughout the day in that relationship of prayer and talking to him. So that way I'm not just at the end of my day going, how did it all fall apart? Oh, that's why I spent five minutes in the morning and didn't think of him the rest of the day. I listened to podcasts that had nothing to do with him. I listened to trash music. I didn't involve him at all. That's free. That's really not here. Where was I? When you pray, you are putting sound waves into the air. You're talking out loud. There are three heavens in scripture that you'll find. The first heaven is Psalms chapter 19, verse 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. Then when you go outside, that's what you see. So we're looking outside. We can see that outside. I remember when we first moved to Salt Lake, uh, I, you know, City guy, south of Boston, like never been in the woods, never wanted to. Like, who wants to go where there's no phone, no TV, no shower, like no air conditioning, um, mosquito free, no snakes, no mice. Like, that's not going to happen. That's just ridiculous. So I lose a bet to Paul, her cousin, and I go. We're in the woods. And maybe it's just me or maybe you've experienced this. We're all sitting in a circle and there's a fire. I don't care where I moved. That smoke followed me. You know, I'm coming over here. I'll sit over here. It's, it's, as if it came all the way to Michigan. Huh? Just playing. It's okay. You can laugh at my, my tragedy. It's fine. But I'm sitting in the woods, and that smoke is just in a matter of, But, man, within 20 or 30 minutes, I finally look through it all, and you can see the moon, the stars. It's quiet. It's peaceful. Oh, look at that. Good job, guys. Too soon. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing, guys. But you look at that and you're like, my God, this is. And I became an outdoorsman. I love the outdoors. I'll hunt. I'll, I'll be out. I love it. That is the first heaven that you see is that. The second heaven is in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. Here, Daniel had been praying. Then said he unto him, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Listen, the first time you prayed, God heard you. You've been praying for 20 days because he didn't know God heard him. And there's somebody in this room that you've been praying for a long time. He heard you the first time. 
It's recorded in heaven. When you begin to articulate those words, it made its way to heaven. And so now the same thing is happening. The angels are coming down to answer Daniel. And here is in the second evidence where you hear this. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days below Michael. One of the chief princes came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. In other words, while there was spiritual warfare with the answer you needed, he didn't know. He was waiting on an answer for 21 days and all of heaven is at war for that person from the first day he prayed because he didn't know it, but he kept praying. You might not know that God has heard you, but I'm here to tell you this morning, he has heard your prayer. There is war in heaven over your soul, over your issue, over what you need. He has heard your prayer. And quickly into the third heaven is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 says, I know, man, this is Paul, I know a man of Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I couldn't tell, whether out of the body I couldn't tell, but he was caught up into the third heaven, which is heaven where we will be one day with our Savior. So that tells me when you begin to pray, your words leave here, they make their way to heaven. Once he hears your prayer, there's an answer that's coming. However long all of heaven is waging war on your behalf, he has heard your prayer. But this is what gets me when you when we listen and, and, and this verse will paint a picture of how we feel about what happens in the war in heaven when we're praying. And, and we we've quoted it so often. It's Ephesians chapter two, verse two, wherein in times passes, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of obedience, the prince of the power of the air. What do we think when we think prince? Well, that's a person of authority, right? That's how you got a king, you got a prince. Well, then the enemy is the prince of the air. Who am I when I'm struggling spiritually to be able to pray if I'm fighting against the prince? Who am I? We devalue who we are based on the circumstances that we're in, not on who he is, on who we're praying to. So now, because I'm struggling spiritually, I devalue who I am. I exalt the end because he's the prince of the air. I dug deeper, and this is how it's translated in, in the Greek, and the word is uh, uh, arkunda, and it means ruler or chief. It got translated into English for prince, but it really means ruler or chief. In Roman culture, there is only one way to be, two ways to become a ruler or a chief. That is by a higher power or by the people. So when you look at the higher power, God created everything. Satan has no authority over what God, that's why he had to ask God if he could touch Job. Nothing happens without God knowing what's going on. Nothing in your life is happening without the almighty God knowing exactly what's going on because he is the only one who could give the enemy the authority because the chief or ruler is the lesser authority. The higher authority is God because he created all things. But watch what Roman culture teaches us. The only other person that can put a ruler or chief in position is the people. That's why it is important on what you're communicating or what you're praying, because life and death are in the power of the tongue. What does that mean? That means I am empowering one kingdom or another kingdom. Why? It's what I am speaking into the air. I can give him a seat in my life or I can dethrone this prince because I can give him the power because he is just a ruler or a chief and I am a higher authority than him. So when you pray, you're empowering one kingdom or another. When you pray, so it frustrates me. We stop, go back to the beginning. We stop talking to God. We're focused on the end, right? Oh, how could you allow this to happen to me, God? We're so frustrated where we are. Because somewhere along the lines, we got so emotional, we didn't want to talk to him. It's like the Pharisees. We look great on the outside, you put your best skirt on, fixed your hair, you shaved, you groomed your beard, you put on a suit, whatever's your best, whatever that is, it's irrelevant. But we come out looking like we have everything together, but on the inside, it's nothing but emotional baggage, broken. And here, he's telling us, if you'll just tell me, if you'll reveal that stuff to me, I can help you, I can do that. But instead, 
we stop because we feel like he's so far. You ever felt like God is so distant? He's so far away, doesn't hear your prayer, doesn't see where you are. Am I the only one in this room? It's okay, the lights are down. Nobody's looking at you. Right? Let's go back to Jesus. We used him to prove that emotions are okay and he's not afraid of them and he had them himself. But let's see what happened to Jesus. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Here, I don't have time to go into fully God and fully man, the oneness. But here, the flesh is, is getting baptized. John is baptized, giving us an example on full immersion in baptism. And here, God's saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased. You ever feel like God's just happy with you, pleased with you? It's a, you can now lift your hands. Because now everybody can look at you and be like, yeah, God's pleased with me. I do it right all the time. Oh, God's pleased with us. We can all, you know what, let's all get on the same playing field. Everybody raise their hand. Come on, everybody. Oh, so God's not pleased with you? Okay, that's fine. Oh, okay, you are not. Right? All our hands are up. God's pleased with us, right? Okay. Now, watch what happens at the cross. Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The biggest trial of Jesus' physical body, he felt alone at the cross. Do you think that you can't feel alone when you're carrying your own cross? If Jesus felt that way, who am I to think that I'll never feel alone and that he's just abandoned me? Did he abandon Jesus at the cross? No, he was still there. You might not see him on your right hand, but when he's working on his left hand, he will reveal his right hand, which is when Jesus was raised from the dead. So if Jesus can feel alienated and he felt alone at the cross, then it's, it's okay for us to feel that way. That will happen. Those seasons do come and they go. My mind went back to first, uh, first Kings chapter 19, Elijah. We had watched Elijah do all these miracles. And here... Elijah gets threatened by one woman, Jezebel. The dude books, like, I'm out of here, because she threatened his life. He's like, oh, I'm out of here. Same guy that have watched all these men, same guy. And, wa- and watch what scripture tells us with, uh, and said, this is his prayer. He bails from Jezebel, runs in the desert, finds a tree, sits at a tree, and said, it's enough now. It's enough, O oh Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. How is a prophet going to lay? That's a suicidal prayer. Take, I'm done. You're laughing. How many times have we prayed that? God, I can't take another thing. I am over all of this. You know what? We love when people like, listen, you can confide in people. And I, and I, and I get it. People will try to help you. And they'll say, hey, you know what? The devil's just after you. You just got to, you know, the, you're, you're just the devil. The kingdom of hell's afraid of you. There's a bullseye on you. Huh. What do you say? Well, get the bullseye off me. How about we take that dude off for a minute? Let's relax for a bit and not, let's not have a bullseye for a couple hours. I'm okay with being left alone for a little while. It's been 10, 10 months of hell for me. I'm cool with not having a bullseye, Lord. That's an honest prayer. And this prophet is at the tree praying a suicidal prayer because he couldn't take it anymore. And we know the angels came and fed him and took care of him. How is it that when we are going through our own hell, that we want to give up. We don't want to pray anymore. We're afraid to let God really know how we feel. A real prayer, not a stained glass prayer. Tell him your emotions. Tell him exactly how you feel. But no, what do we do? We kind of stopped communicating a little bit with God. We're just like, we're, we're now, we've created, we're in a place where it's like, okay, God, you know what? So what do we do? The Bible says that it's actually healthy, right? You go to your pastor. There's, there's wisdom uh, in the multitude of counselors. So great. You find your pastor. You find two or three people that are close that have fruit that they have a walk with God. But no. We go tell 10 people what we're dealing with. Oh, I can't put again. Here, here I go. Here, here I go again. It just never lets up. Okay. All right. Hey, you know what, Joey? Once again, man, and we start talking to you. Hey, Hassan, guess what, bro? Man, once again, oh, you know why I can't? Pastor Kento, oh, I, I, I don't know. Sister Spice, I, I don't know. Man, I, I'll go through the whole church telling my problems. I didn't talk to God. Why do we do that? All right, ready? Time out for being honest again? Well, it's easy. 
You go through 10 people, you get 10 different pieces of advice, you take the one you like the best, you take it out for a drive, it's the worst idea, you blame them. Never once consulted with God, instead you go tell 10 other people about your problems, empowering the wrong kingdom, so when there's no answer, all you can do is blame the people you went to, instead of taking it to God in prayer, instead of being honest with them and saying, God, you know what, I don't need to tell you, I don't need to hear from nobody else, because they can't control it, they can't fix it, they can help me, they can be my friend, but they can't give me an answer, so I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to talk to you about my problems. I say we talked a little bit less to some folks and maybe spend a little bit more time in prayer, a little bit more time in talking to other people about where you are honestly praying. I'm, I'm coming to a close if I could have the musicians come up. I remember a story in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Here David should have been at war, didn't go to war. And, um, you know, a story comes out, he sees Bathsheba, takes her in, she's pregnant. What does Dave do? I got a great idea. Her husband, who is doing the right thing at war, Uriah, let's bring him home. That way he can go home to his wife and he'll think it's his. Bright idea. Well, I would think, I don't know, there's a couple of the Rachels in here, uh, Kelsey's in here, there's a few Pragos in here. Um, so I would think, dads, when that baby comes out, like, not so much Uriah. Kind of has David's chin a little bit. His skin tone's not mine. Mm, kind of a little bit. You would think pops would figure out. But, you know, when you're in sin, you know, your, your vision's cloudy anyway. So you're like, it's a great idea. Well, Uriah was such a stand-up guy that he wouldn't even go home to his wife. He slept on the stairs. Well, finally, couldn't get him to go home. So what did David do? I'll kill him. Send him to the front lines. Got him killed. So the prophet Nathan comes, gives him a parable. The truth comes out. And so now, watch this. Nathan tells him, it says, listen, you know what? Your life is spared, but your baby's going to die. And so what happens? Huh? David, the child, this isn't a, 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 a stillborn. This, they have the baby, and it dies. So now, the Bible says that David goes into the field, takes everything off. He's fasting. His friends, his subjects go to him, try to feed him, try to take care of him. David kicks them all out says, I'm praying. He's kicking dirt. He's graveling at the dirt. He's upset. He's angry at himself for messing things up. He's frustrated. And the point of the story, because the baby dies, but the point of the story to me isn't even that the baby died. The point to me was here David is, away from everybody, upset, angry, hurt, bitter, mad at himself, mad at Nathan for even coming to him with this news. And he's praying. And then the baby dies. And David could see the men talking. And he knew and he said, those guys didn't want to go tell David, like, man, if he was mad at us when we were trying to feed and take care of him, what do you think he's going to do to us when he finds out his baby's dead? So David could read it. He said, the baby's passed. Sorry, Dave, it's passed. Okay. David got up, grabbed the shower, changed his clothes, ate a full meal. Why would he do that? The story is that you might not know what the answer is, whether it's what you think's in your favor or what God sees as best for you. The problem is it's okay to get in the dirt. It's okay to push everybody aside to pray. It's okay for you to claw at the dirt, kick the rocks, be angry too. But when that answer comes, you get up, you shower, you get clothes, you straighten yourself up because he's answered. But until then, it's okay to get in the dirt. It's okay to show your emotion. It's okay to show that emotion. I want us to stand. You know what? I'll get the helmet. There's a, get the helmet out of the office. I'll, we've created in church that it's okay to not be okay. We didn't create it. We just finally allowed it. And that's great. It really is great. But here's what I'm afraid has happened. We've made it okay to not be okay that we're okay. So now, what we do, I'll take it. What we do, thanks. What we do is 
um, what we do is now we, we have this circle around us and all of us, I'm not okay. Oh, me neither. I'm, I'm fighting depression. I'm fighting anxiety. I just, I'm not okay. Man, me too. So we'll gather everybody around. Nobody's doing anything about it. We talk about faith that thought works is dead. Left hand is work. Right hand is truth. God's absolutes. I believe there is a responsibility to every child of God to not just pray, but for you to work for your answer. I can tell you, in the last 10 months, I don't know how many books I've read on depression. I can't tell you how many books I've read on anxiety. I can't tell you how many books I have read on freeing and releasing and renewing my mind. I've put in the work. So my heart is broken, but my mind is still strong. They're not married yet. It's great when everything is great and you feel it on the inside. But what's difficult is when I am so broken and angry, but yet I'm saying, let's go to church. When I'm ticked off and I want to yell at people and I don't want to see anybody, my, my heart is saying, you know what? My mind is telling me, hey, what are we going to read today? Who are we going to minister to? Who do you know is going through something? You should send them a text. They're not married yet, but we're working on that. So while I believe we should be working, reading the right things, listening to the right things, you have to couple that with honest, real prayer. Jesus is at Gethsemane. He took three of his closest friends with him. He said, now pray with me because I'm going deeper into prayer. Those three cats fell asleep three times. Bro, I'm telling you the truth. You fall asleep on me once, cool. Two times, you're out. Like, I needed you and you weren't even there for me. We're good. Go home. It's fine. Three times they fall asleep. That tells me there are places you're going to have to go that nobody's going to go with you. That you have to go in prayer alone. That you have to be vulnerable. You have to be honest. You have to pray the prayers that everybody's afraid that if they actually said what they think out loud that God would leave them and he won't. He's into the detail. I want us to come forward because I want us, something happened in here when we begin to pray earlier. And I believe there is a, a deliverance that can happen here. If you're honest with yourself and where you are and what you need, I believe God is ready to pour out what you need from him if you'll just be honest with where you are in your walk with him. We say that we must worship him in spirit and in truth, right? It's, it's the right information and the right attitude. Spirit, your attitude, truth is the right words, the right thing to pray, the right thing to worship. It's him. It's the same in prayer. You pray in spirit and in truth. Not only are you praying to the spirit, but you have to pray in truth what you're really feeling on the inside, what you're dealing with. I wasn't going to say this early, but I kept thinking about this. See, I remember when the house caught on fire. The very next day, if you knew who David Patton was, he's the guy that would text in all caps all the time. Like he was literally yelling at us all the time. It's like he lived his life in the league after retirement. Everything's on 10. His personality's on 10. He planted a church after 12 years in the NFL, three Super Bowl rings, plants a church. And I mean, he is leading that church like it's an NFL team. Like, I mean, they're getting it every day. Incredible, incredible mentor. He texted me. He said, he said, hey, bro, what you need, if you don't answer, I'm coming there. That's all he said, all caps. I said, bro, there's nothing you can do for me. I said, but you know what? Your jersey that was signed literally melted off. There's not even proof that I had your jersey signed. I said, I would like to have something from you showing me that, uh, you know, we're, we're close and that I've got memories from you. We got a lot of history together. So then I got you. I got the text. I screenshot all his texts in case something goes wrong with my phone. I'll never want to forget his text. So I said, okay. So the day he dies, I'm not even thinking of that. Just prior, I remember calling Jay. A couple of days, Dave was going up to Massachusetts to do a signing for the Patriots. I said, bro, make sure Dave signs something for me because I know that cat can forget. I mean, I got you. I get to call Dave's dead. I go to his funeral just a couple of days later. And I'm, and I'm barely making it through this funeral. 
Not a pedophile that died. Not an abuser. Not a thief. Not a criminal. This is a man of God that has helped me in the darkest nights. That has been a friend to this church. That Galena and him have contributed to Let's Imagine. He will live on. They were the first. I won't say the dollar amount. But they were the very, one of the very first to write a check to Let's Imagine, and it was substantial. They believed in you. They believed in this city. They have partnered with us. He's gone. I go to the funeral, and I'm upset, I'm angry, I'm trying to process this funeral. I come home. I come home. The next day, you might not feel God, and I'll be honest, there have been many, many nights where I felt zero. There are many days I come in this place and I pray. I do my laps on Monday and I don't feel nothing. I can come here on Sunday and try to put my hands up and I don't feel anything. But it doesn't matter because I'm not here to worship him because I feel him. I still know who he is. He is a rewarder than that diligently seek him. He, is, he has been there from the very beginning for me. I've watched him do miracles in the past. I've got enough history with him that I'm not challenged in the season right now because of where I am. So my worship isn't predicated on how I feel. My worship is predicated on who he is. And so, I, my brother could correct, I, maybe it was two or three days later. Now, mind you, the nights I, I had, I, right after the fire, it was, it was weeks and weeks and weeks. I would get up in the middle of the night because I had this image in my mind of the front curtains going up. That's when I knew the whole house was gone. The fire started in the basement. I'm outside. All of the curtains are blazed. I said, it's over. I would wake up with anxiety and fear that those curtains were going to go again. Can't tell you in that house. The smoke detectors go off because my wife was cooking something. I watched my son run down the stairs and out the door without saying a word to anybody because of fear. I would wake up in the middle of the night so afraid that I was going to die or replay the night that when I talked to him, I said, this is what I want on a helmet, Dave. I want it to say, no fear, faith over fear. Here's why. The, the first several weeks after that, I would get up with extreme anxiety, fear. And I would always play two songs, one with Stones, and one was Faith Over Fear, Mark Crowder. He wrote this song at the perfect time, what I felt like was for me. The only way I could get to sleep or move on through my days, I had to play that song and get Faith Over Fear. Come on, God, do it again. And I would pray, I was hurt. I was in fear for my family and moving forward. And so we go to the funeral, I come home. Dave's dead, I watched him bury him. Two or three days later, there's a box at my brother's front door. The last thing Dave did for me, he signed the helmet. Don't tell me God doesn't care. Don't tell me he doesn't give you something to keep you holding on. And so when I see this helmet, I see faith over fear. When I am so crushed and broken, I see faith over fear. When I feel like he's so distant from me, I can see his handiwork in the details. And they're going to sing. But I promise you, if you are in this room and you have been fighting something, you have these emotions built up inside of you, I dare you to give that to him this morning. I dare you to lift that up to him this morning. I dare you to let him know how mad you are at him. Let him feel you because I promise he is the God of the details. He will give you the answer that you're looking for. Why don't we turn this into a place of prayer and begin to reach out to him. And if you're not in a battle, then I'm asking you to find somebody. Pray with somebody. Help them get their answer. Help them get delivered. But let's turn this into a house of prayer.